Welcome to True North Vineyard Podcast, where we share our Sunday gathering messages. True North is a vibrant church plant community located in Traverse City, Michigan area. We are centered in the Bible and follow the example of Jesus praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We hope that our Sunday gathering messages encourage you to lean into the word of God and compel you to take action. To connect with us, visit our website, vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. Anyway, I uh, came upon this story this week as I was preparing for my message, and I just wanted to, to kind of read it to you because I find that it's quite prevalent to our topic for the evening. It's entitled, Relief from Suffering. Money. It can buy a house, but not a home. It can buy a bed, but not sleep. It could buy a clock, but not time. It could buy you a book, but not knowledge. It can buy you a position, but not respect. It could buy you medicine, but not health. It could buy you blood, but not life. It could buy you sex, but not love. You see, money isn't everything, and it often comes with pain and suffering. And I tell you this because I'm your friend, and I love you, and I want to take away your pain and suffering. So if you would please send me all of your money, (laughs) and I will suffer for you. (laughs) Cash only, please. Anyway, this week we're jumping back into our book of Luke, and this week we're going to be talking about uh, Christian suffering in regards to poverty and riches. So if you go with me to Luke chapter 6, I'll have it here behind me on the screen. Start in verse 20 and go through verse 26. Oh, by the way, Maddie, I finally got out of those verses. That <laughs> I had been touching the last, uh, when we went through the whole summer, I did an entire series and stayed on like six verses. And Maddie comes up to me during one of those times. She's like, when are you going to get out of these verses? Today is your day, Maddie. We are out of those verses. (laughs) That was good. All right, verse 20 says, Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man? When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy, for great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets that same way. What sorrow awaits for you who are rich? For you have only your happiness now. What sorrow awaits for you who are fat and prosperous now? For a time of awful hunger awaits you. What uh, what sorrow awaits you who laugh now? For your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds for their ancestors also praised the false prophets. Let me just go ahead and pray. Father, I pray that your presence would come. Send your spirit tonight that you would just bless this message. but You would also bless the hearer that you would do something internally inside of us. And God, we would be blessed eternally in Jesus name. We are continuing in our book series through Luke, and the main, the primary objective that Jesus has 
is the overthrow of evil, the defeat of evil through the kingdom of God. And we kind of had this little kind of debate at Omega this week. Uh, we were having this conversation um, around the idea of Jesus' death and why he said a certain thing. And it got into this whole conversation about Christus Victor, which is the idea that Jesus overthrows evil, that the whole point of the gospel is that Jesus comes to overthrow evil and become the king of the universe. And on a theological level, that's really, really cool, right? I really, 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 really love it. But also, I love it on an emotional level. I love it because it elicits something really tangible. Because we can look outside and we can see evil every day. We can look outside. We can look internally. We can look on the TV. And we can see evil rampant. But the story of the gospel is that Jesus has defeated this evil. And so what does that mean? If evil is still rampant, what does it mean for Jesus to defeat evil? And how is that something we can look forward to? Or how do we experience that in our life? And I really want us to know, because this is the story of the gospel. This is the story of the Bible. Is that Jesus came to defeat evil, but we as the people of the kingdom join in that fight. You and I are attached to this reality. We are not bystanders. We're not people who just get our ticket punched and get to go to a destination. We are a people who are invited into the cause. We are a part of a solution. And so you and I are not just people who say yes to Jesus and go to heaven. We are yes to Jesus and we experience God bringing heaven's reality here on earth through our actions. That is the overthrow of evil that Jesus is talking about. And that takes us into why Jesus is not just a moral teacher. Why this passage is not just a story about good things or doing right. It's because we have been drawn into a story that it's not just about doing right. It is about overturning the broken conditions of the world. We're not just being told to do things that are right just to be good people. We're doing things that are right because God is reversing evil. He's doing good, and we get to be a part of that good. And so it might be important that I actually define what evil is, right? Because I could just throw out a whole bunch of things and say, that's evil. But I think of three things when I think of evil. The first thing I think about is something like this. Go ahead and throw that. I think of the evil of sickness and disease and death. When I think of this girl right here, she didn't deserve that. God didn't originate, and God didn't force, and God didn't create people to be sick in the world. When people say, why do we have a good God and allow for sickness and disease and brokenness to come into this world? It's not because God originated it. It is because we have an enemy who deceived us. It's the story of Adam and Eve. When they were tempted, sin came into the world. And with sin came death and the repercussions of death, which is sickness and disease. And so when we see things like this, and we see all of us who are sick in our body, in our mind, in our emotions, in our spirit, it is not because God wants that to be the reality on earth. That is something he comes to destroy. And this is what we talked about last week, is that Jesus came off of that mountain 
And the first thing he does before he ever teaches is he heals. He sets people free from the evil of sickness and disease. And we can say we believe in healing because the kingdom is advancing now. But we can also say that that's pointing to a greater reality. And that greater reality is when Jesus returns and the kingdom of God comes in its fullness, where sickness and disease will be no more. It will be completely gone. So Jesus comes to defeat evil in the form of sickness, disease, and death, and will ultimately overthrow it. The second evil, I don't have a slide, because my fault. But it's a, it's a picture of political evil. We see political evil through two distinct, diverse things. We see evil through tyranny, in which we have people like Hitler or Stalin, and they gather people underneath their banner, and they murder and slaughter and subjugate people underneath them, where now you end up with a few who are leading with others that are subjugated. Or you end up with anarchy and mob rule, and there is no justice whatsoever because it's all Wild West. Both are equally evil in the sense that they bring chaos and death. And Jesus is now being king, makes him king over these despots. Jesus being king now is now saying that he is now going to rid the world of this evil. This tyranny will not last So because Jesus is king, it means that these rulers will have to bow their knee to him. And that we can look and we can speak to political powers who are doing evil and we can say, no, you are doing wrong. You do not have the ability to continue to beat people up and destroy their lives because we serve a greater king. This is what it is always meant. When people say, uh, when, when you see in the epistles, when Paul says, praise be to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, that word Lord is the word, the Greek word kyrios. It's the same word that is used for emperor Caesar. Uh, it's used for Caesar or the emperor. And so when the emperor or people in the Roman Empire would look at that, they would obviously see that there is an actual dispute that's happening. It's not Caesar is Lord, it's Jesus is Lord. This is a political confrontation. So that when we're looking at evil rulers, we say Jesus is king, not president so-and-so, not leader so-and-so, Jesus. And President Biden and President Trump and all of the presidents of the United States and abroad will have to bow their knee to Jesus when he returns. The third evil looks something like this. That is Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life. (laughs) Mr. Potter is the most greedy person in It's a Wonderful Life. He ends up owning almost all of the town by the end of the story. He manipulates everybody to, uh, uh, he, he ends up getting all of their wealth when you end up with Black Friday. And he owns all these pieces of land and all of the renters live in squabbles. He doesn't care about any of the property, and he allows them to live in shambles so that he can profit. This is what we call moral evil. Moral evil is something that you and I perpetrate against one another. I lie, I cheat, I steal, I kill. That is who we humans 
are. We are evil in that way because we inherited an evil nature, and therefore we perpetrate evil against one another. Jesus comes not to give us moral values, but to set us free from the immorality in our heart. So Jesus comes and he teaches us morality and ethics, not to teach us to be good people. He's not teaching bad people to be good people. He's taking dead people and making living ones. He's taking us from our broken condition and saying we are to be alive. We have a king. We have a kingdom now that's advancing, and that kingdom is now advanced through people who look like and speak like and act like Jesus. And that means that our actions have to look and act and see like Jesus. That's who we are. So when we're looking at these passages, we're not trying to say, here's morality for morality's sake. You have to look a certain way, therefore, be good, Jesus coming. That's not the point of the gospel. It is Jesus is king now. You go and act like the kingdom is here, and you await his return. And the portion of that that we have to realize also is that when we live like this, we're going to suffer. We're going to experience persecution. We're going to experience the hurt. That's why this passage is so important because when we're talking about the poor and the hungry and the sorrowful and the hated, they become this way because they've chosen to live a life after God. They've chosen to live a life pursuing God and therefore they're being persecuted against. They've chosen not to fall into the riches and the wealth. They have not become lovers of money. They become lovers of God. That's the point of this passage, is that these people are blessed because they're refusing to be evil. And we see the antithesis of that is because these people who are wealthy and fat and prosperous have chosen not to live for God. They live in their wealth in antithesis to loving the kingdom. They refuse to do good with their wealth. They refuse to do good with their money. That's what we're going to see tonight. And I'm going to talk about three principles this evening that deal with avoiding the evils of wealth, not becoming lovers of money, but loving people and loving God with our resources. So the first of these principles that I'm going to talk about is that we are going to suffer hardships in our war against the kingdom of darkness. Let me take a drink real quick. Part of this Christian life that we live is suffering. We are going to go through hard times. We are going to go through a lot, a lot of trouble. And that's because we have two things. One, we have the broken conditions that we live in in the world. And two, we have an enemy who hates us. But we are going to suffer because we're going to be tempted to do things and experience things that we shouldn't do. We're also going to suffer differently in our context versus another context. So let me kind of give a definition. If we were to live right now, say, Iran or Iraq or Afghanistan, and uh, they're going to experience persecution differently in their area than we are here. In Iran and Afghanistan, if you are a believer in Jesus, you have to do it all in secret. Because if you're found out, you are thrown in a penitentiary, you're, you're, you're most likely tortured, and you're raped if you're a woman, and then you're murdered at the end of it. In the West, we might get some 
prejudice against us. We might get some pushback from our culture. But it's more likely that the culture is going to entice you to become like it more than the culture actually do something to you violently. You are likely more to embrace the culture and become like the culture than you are to actually be fought by the culture. And we'll touch on that a little bit more in my second point, but I kind of want to just point that out right here. So in whatever way that we do struggle, we need to change our hearts and our attitudes towards God. Matthew says it this way. Jesus, uh, Luke says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry. Matthew quotes Jesus by saying, blessed is the poor in spirit. He's not saying this is an economic position. What he's saying is, Blessed is the poor in spirit means that they are completely devoted to God, that they have chosen to allow God to be their provider, that whatever they go through, they're going to depend on God. So no matter if they're rich or poor, they're poor in spirit. Their devotion, they are pure to God. They are are going after God and not the culture itself. That is what it means to be poor in spirit. And so if you're poor... Let me explain this. If you're suffering with lack of resources, if you are hurting, suffering for the poor looks like devotion to God. It looks like seeking after him as your provider. This is why we pray the Lord's Prayer the way we do. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. God is the provider. So if we're struggling with poverty, if we're struggling with our resources, it's not about going and doing a side hustle. That might help. Might go get a better job. That might help too. But ultimately, it has to be God that's the blesser. God has to be the one that provides. It's not you. You're not the great blesser. Not because you're great or your talents are good you need to realize that God is the one who blesses your hands to work. He's the one who gives you the money. He's the one that gives you all blessing. And if we can remain poor in spirit, regardless of our economic value system or our our placement with inside of that, we can find true happiness. And for those of us who are suffering in this way, leaning on God and relying on God transforms us by the Spirit we become more like God and we experience his blessings as we call out to him. There's this great, um, someone said this to me and it became something really good for me. Um, this guy said, this, this skeptic comes to this, uh, this bishop and he says, Bishop, isn't, isn't blessing all circumstantial or coincidence? Like, Isn't it just coincidence? Like, why pray at all? And the bishop, this wise bishop, says, yes, it is coincidence. He says, so why pray? He says, well, when I pray, I get more coincidences. That's a reality. That when we pray and we posture our heart, God blesses us more. God gives of his abundance to us as we ask of him and as we seek him. But also, let's not get focused in on blessing, because we know how that can go. Um, I came out of a culture, Jonathan and I came out of a culture where it was the name it, claim it crowd. 
Like, if I can name it, I can claim it. I'm going to get my wealth. I'm going to speak to myself in the mirror, and I'm going to get all of those things that I desire. Well, the problem with that is all of a sudden, it takes God and makes him kind of our little wish maker. He, he becomes our genie, and he's no longer the God we revere. He becomes um, kind of just um, a catalyst for my blessing. And so this is what Jesus says a few passages down underneath his Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. He says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you, do not worry about every day whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildfires that are here today and thrown into the wildfire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Here's the point I want you to hear. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So let's deal with the second principle. We need to self-impose restrictions on our life to remain holy and pure. I said I'd get back to this, and now we're here. We need to self-impose restrictions so that we can remain holy and pure. When I think about this, um, I want to make a comparison to the American church to a church in Revelation. There is a church, uh, there is one of the seven churches called Sardis. Jesus says this to Sardis in Revelation 3. He says, I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Sardis is the richest of all the churches of those seven churches that Jesus uh, speaks to in Revelation. It's the richest of the place, and it's an empirical center. So in the time of the Roman Empire, it was one of, uh, it was a cultural center. So what Jesus is saying to them is he's saying, you have a reputation of righteousness. You have a reputation of being good. Doesn't that sound like us? Like we can go on and we can see all the mega churches. We can turn on TV and we have thousands of people attending worship services. We have thousands of people running to altars. But then we have churches who endorse things that have never been endorsed in the history of the church. We have churches that are walking away from the faith in so many categories. They're embracing the culture. They're running away. They have a facade of being alive. We import, and we, I'm sorry, we export all of this media. We export 
all of these books, we have a, we have a reputation of being alive. But we're dead. This is what Jesus is saying to them. Because they lived in a cultural center, they were not impacting their culture. They were being impacted by their culture. My fear is that we're not Laodicea, this cold middle ground church. My fear is that we've become a corrupted church. That we are more like Sardis, running after the empirical wealth of the Romans. That is my fear. We live in a culture where I can turn on my television and all I see is an advertisement about something that they want to sell me. I can look at my TV, I can go on my social media, I can drive right by and all of a sudden, every time I drive by, there's a billboard saying I need something. And the value system of the world is, you need this. If you buy this, you can experience the fullness of life. If you just buy this one thing, you're going to feel something great. If you could just own this one thing, your life's going to be a lot better. And if you don't believe me, just ask our cultural prophet, Ariana Grande, and her song, Seven Rings. She sings, my wrist, stop watching. My neck is flossing. Make big deposits. My gloss is popping. You like my hair? Gee, thanks. Just bought it. I see it. I like it. I want it. I got it. I want it. I got it. I want it. I got it. I see it. I like it. I want it. I got it. That, that, my friends, is the world trying to corrupt us. This is the cultural value that we can't live with. It is antithetical to the kingdom of God. It's the opposite of the kingdom of God. The value of the kingdom of God is not material wealth. It is a life of self-sacrifice and charity. We are to give our lives and our resources to those who are in poverty and in pain, those who are hungry and in desperate need. That is our job. That is the kingdom of God. We are to give ourselves for the sake of the poor and the hungry and the sorrowful and the hated. That is who we are. That is the kingdom of God. And this means that we will need to self-impose restrictions on how we enjoy our wealth. This is not to say that we can't be wealthy, but we can't be absorbed. We can't make it an idol. It can't be something we worship. We cannot have two masters. We cannot serve both God and money. You will hate the one and love the other. If you are in love with money and wealth, you will not live for the kingdom the way you want to. It is just a fact. This brings me to my last point. Showing generosity to the poor and the marginalized is an outward sign of the kingdom of God, defeating evil. You using your wealth to love on the broken is a demonstration that you are looking like Jesus to the world. You are giving of yourself and you are blessing someone who's hurt. That is showing the love of Jesus to those who are not as fortunate as you. This is what the early church did. 
This is a story from Acts chapter 4. It says, All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give those in need. Our role in this life is to recognize the poor and the marginalized, and we bless them. We who have money, we who have riches, are not to spend it all on ourselves. Not to say that you can't spend something nice on yourself or your wife here and there. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not trying to legalize anything. What I'm trying to say, though, is if you forget the poor, if you forget the needy, if you forget the sorrowful and the broken, we are not living the authentic Christian life. We have a reputation of good, but you're dead. You have a reputation of life, but we're dead. I don't want True North to be that. I don't want us to be them. We have done something here, and we've ramped up our, our heart to serve people that are less fortunate. We are going to continue to ramp that up. That's my commitment to you. That our church is going to meet the needs, not only the people in our community, but we're going to reach into Traverse City and Kalkaska and wherever it's needed. We're going to reach Northern Michigan. That's who we are. But the only way we do that is that we sacrifice. That's the suffering part. That's the part that hurts. We suffer not because we're persecuted. We suffer by not loving money more than we love people. So that's why I'm doing giving at the end. If you'd put that screen up there for me, our giving screen. I'm going to have Jonathan and our worship team come on down. I'm not trying to force you to give of your wealth. Many of you are doing a great job and you're giving all the time. Some of you are the most faithful tithers and I want to commend you for what you're doing. But some of us in this room don't know what it's like to give. And tonight, this is not a beatdown. This is not to hurt you. This is not to harm you. This is to encourage you. I'm your pastor. I love you. So send me your money. It's a joke. We want to bless all of Traverse City. We want to bless everyone in our area that we can. So tonight, as we close in worship, give your heart to the Lord. Become poor in spirit. Devote your life to him. Seek after him. Go after him with your whole heart. And allow him to lead you into how to serve him in that best way. And if that is to give to us, then amazing. If that's not, and if you are called to do something else, I bless you with that. Just do something good. Do well. Love people well. I know you do. 
I know you do. So I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pray. I'm going to dismiss you. But we're, going to st- we're just going to stay in. If you want to worship, continue to worship, by all means. You can scan that code. You can go online. You can give in the back. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Father, I bless your people. And I pray that you would do amazing things in their life. That you would do amazing things, that you would bless them tremendously. But God, I pray that in the blessing that you give them, Lord, they would not neglect the poor and the hungry and the sorrowful and the hurting. May you do great things in their life so that you might extend blessing to others. I bless them in Jesus' name. Thanks again for tuning in to the True North Vineyard Podcast. We hope that you are blessed by this message. To connect with us, be sure to visit our website, vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. We hope to see you soon.